Hey everybody, Todd Dills here with another edition of Overdrive Radio. To start, we've got a little news about a new program, live over at the Bluegrass Jamboree Online Radio Network. Let's hear it for Overdrive's Music Detroit. Hi everybody, I'm Big Al Weekly, and a brand new program is coming to the bluegrassjamboree.com. That will be March 5th. At 10 a.m. Eastern Time, the show is Overdrive's Music to Truck Mine. I'm going to be your host. We're going to play the best in road music from bluegrass to the classic truck songs of all time, classic country. And I'm going to be introducing some of the brand new artists from the trucking industry, the men and women that keep this country on the road. That's brought to you by the bluegrassjamboree.com and Overdrive Magazine, the premier magazine of the trucking industry. Remember, that's going to be March 5th, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Friday, right here on the bluegrassjamboree.com. Come and join me. By the time you're hearing this, that initial program will be long over, but know the night haulers among you can catch a re-air in the wee hours, Wednesday morning, March 10, 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. That's Tuesday night if you prefer to think of it that way. The rest of you, be sure to join Big Al at the bluegrassjamboree.com or via Bluegrass Jamboree native iPhone and Android apps. You can listen to via the TuneIn and various other apps offering streaming access to a myriad radio stations and TV networks around the country. Just search the Bluegrass Jamboree and you'll find it. Episode 1 of the two-hour show featured a bit of a spotlight on trucking troubadours who will be familiar to longtime regular listeners. That'd be Tony Justice and Bill Weaver. Likewise, plenty of bluegrass and classic uh, classic trucking music to lighten the load on the run. We hope you'll tune into a program that springs from ideas I've heard from a myriad of owner-operators. This trucking radio programming has uh, turned all talk over the last couple of decades. That is, as one of the truckers, our own fellow podcaster and writer, Long Haul Paul Marhofer, as he put it, you really have to be wired for constant umbrage with a lot of what passes for talk programming in this day and age. Big Al Weekly himself put it another way. The professional drivers of our nation deserve a bit of a salute, as it were, he said, and kind voice to guide them down the road with some of the best music of the past and right on up to today. We're excited about where the program could go. Keep on keeping on, Big Al, and everybody say hi to him if you can catch the program via any of those channels. Use our podcast line at 530-408-6423 and leave a message for him anytime, actually. I can make sure he gets it, and hey, you may just hear it over the air in a future program. That's 530-408-6423. Now, on tap for this week for Overdrive Radio, otherwise, is a uh, the presumption, rather, of our rerun of the Over the Road podcast series, produced in collaboration with PRX's Radiotopia podcast network and hosted by the aforementioned Mr. Mar Holfer. We drop into this episode in, uh, 20, in October 2017, a key moment in trucking regulatory history over the last several years, uh, given demonstrations on both coasts and some points in between against the electronic logging device mandate. Generally, out east, those demonstrations were comparatively small, but you can tie a direct line between them and the next year's pursuit by FMCSA of hours of service changes designed to enhance drivers scheduling options around the clarion call for rest period flexibility that emerged in the aftermath. Those changes went into effect, of course, uh, in 2020. Where those 2017 demonstrations were in fact not small, however, was out west, led by a coalition of Punjabi-American 
owner-operators, drivers, and advocates. We told that story in brief in Overdrive at the time, and then again via the person of one Benda Atwal and many others uh, this past year in episode 6 of the Over the Road podcast we're going to hear in full today. It ends up being a portrait not only of a demonstration, but of a close-knit community of U.S. truckers that, with visibility, began to change more than a few minds and hearts around the industry. The episode was dropped too, uh, keep in mind, before the results of those hours of service changes were 100% known, or at least implemented. Keep that in mind as the story reaches its conclusion. Before we hand it off to Long Haul Paul though, here's a word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. If you're a leased owner-operator, you need quality insurance to keep you protected. Call FirstGuard for the commercial truck insurance you need and the service you deserve. FirstGuard is the trucker's insurance company. We understand your needs and offer physical damage and non-trucking liability insurance for leased owner-operators. With FirstGuard, you always get fast and friendly service. Visit FirstGuard.com. That's the number one, S-T-Guard.com. FirstGuard. We speak trucker. Let's talk. Interstate 5 and Highway 99 were gridlocked today as hundreds of truckers carried out a rolling protest. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sacramento, California, 2017. Almost 1,000 semis take to the road in one of the largest demonstrations by truckers ever. People need to open their eyes and see what's going on and stop all this government interference, you know. And all of it led by an unlikely group of truckers. There was like Punjabi music blasting. They had like tea and a, a fried pakoras for everybody that was driving through. So everybody was taking the rest of their exit and they were just handing them to in their trucks. Today on the show, we're circling back to a subject we've been following since the start of the series. New regulation that would go into effect December 18th, forcing them to use electronic logging devices. The electronic logging device. The ELD automatically records the time a driver spends behind the wheel. Accidents. But truckers say the devices would put them on 14-hour timers, creating danger when the time runs out. But we're coming at it from another side. It's the story of how a community of immigrants banded together in the face of government regulation and became a force to be reckoned with in the trucking industry, all while changing a few hearts in the process. Yellow turban on, and he has that bright blue Peterbilt, and he gets out wearing, I forget what they call it, but it looks just like a sheet that he's wearing, and it's the same color as his truck, and I was like, whoa. From Radiotopia and Overdrive Magazine, this is Over the Road. I'm Long Haul Paul. I remember first seeing Punjabi drivers out on the road in 1997. I was loading canned olives at a warehouse near Redding, California, and there were these three dudes there, and they were all wearing turbans. And that's fine. That's all well and good to each his own, until they got assigned to their doctors before I got mine. 
Now, this happened at a time when trucking was changing rapidly. Deregulation had pretty much dropped out the floor on freight rates, and good jobs were disappearing. While at the same time, more and more immigrants were coming into the industry to pick up the slack. It was a perfect recipe for resentment and prejudice. Me, I wasn't making squat on that load of olives, and here were these people from God knows where further depressing the freight market. And while we're at it, let's just go ahead and load them first. In that moment, I'm not going to lie to you. I was livid. The sad truth is that when times get tough, a trucker has a reflexive tendency to blame some other trucker for his troubles. And when you're white, male, and have enjoyed everything those privileges confer, and yet you're barely making it, the easiest trucker to blame is the one who looks and talks differently than you. We tend to kick downwards rather than band together and address the powers that be. And that's what makes the story we're telling today so remarkable. It starts out in a pristine suburban neighborhood of California's Central Valley, at the home of Binda Atwal. Truth is, I wasn't the one ringing that doorbell. At this exact moment, I was waiting on a load of yogurt pound for Detroit. But we were lucky enough to team up with a reporter at KQED Public Radio named Alex Hall. Hello. Hi, are you Hi, Binda? I'm Adam. Yeah, oh, Binda. I'm Alex. Anyhow, Binda gives Alex a quick tour of the house. This is master bedroom. His son helps out. Yeah, because I'm always on the truck, huh? Binda's two sons are six and three now. Yeah, the Batman, the Black Panther. He has a Black Panther blanket. Downstairs, the living room is beautifully decorated with ornate wooden furniture and religious imagery. That, that's the ten gurus, and that's the golden temple. That's like our equivalent of the Vatican. There are family photos everywhere. That's my dad. That's my baba. In a strange kind of twist, Binda actually got into trucking so he could spend more time with his kids. This way, this way. Um, before, I was working in pizza, and like, I was a general manager, but in pizzas, like, weekends are the busiest, so you always have to work like Saturday and Sunday. And with trucking, at least I got my two, three days off to spend completely with my kids. So when Binda was out on the road, he might be gone for days at a time, but he could also be home on the weekends. You know, so that, that was the main reason I got in trucking, surprisingly. It was hard in the beginning. He was gone most of the time. Binda's wife is home, too. I'm Panit Atwal. She had just had their first child when Binda went out on the road. So it was just hard. But the kids know what their dad does or, you know, how it is because most of our family members are in trucking business. And this is part of the reason we wanted to talk to Binda. Because just a couple years after getting his commercial driver's license, he found himself at the very heart of a family, a community, and eventually a movement of Punjabi truck drivers. Like, if you want to just count my street and, like, three neighboring streets here, I could probably name, like, 15 people. One of my uncles, my dad's brother, lives four houses down. 
one side of the street and my dad's other brother lives three houses down the other side of the street and we're all truck drivers you know like it's like a 30 32 house subdivision maybe 40 but like all the houses here that are indians except for one family everybody has at least one truck driver you know and the house right there with the car backed up in the driveway those are also indians they also truckers benda takes alex for a little drive around town and it's like this pretty much wherever they go that guy used to have a truck driving school. See the red truck? You can tell from the last name across the top. And then when they talk to those drivers, it's the same story all over again. My father-in-law, he's also a truck driver. Let's see. <laughs> my brother, my cousins, my uncle. My brother, he, uh, he used to do dispatch. 80% of the men in my family, they drive a truck. As this last driver suggested, the Punjabis who go into trucking are, in fact, overwhelmingly male. I have uncles, cousins, brother-in-laws, friends. We decide when we are in India, we are truck drivers. I know maybe over like five, 600 Punjabi truck drivers. When they stop for lunch, turns out even the owner of the restaurant used to be a trucker. Yeah, and deliver only truck drivers. Yeah, like he won't deliver residential food, drivers. but for truckers he'll deliver because trucks cannot come here. There are no precise figures on this, but we're talking many thousands of Indian American truck drivers in California alone. And many of those drivers trace their roots back to a single state of India called Punjab. So Punjab is a state in northern India, but as far as the culture, the ethnicity goes, when you talk to a Punjabi person, they will not identify as Indian. They will identify as Punjabi. Part of what sets this region apart is the Sikh religion, which originated in Punjab about 500 years ago. There's, there's Sikhs there and there's Hindus there. And as Binda tells it, this religious divide helps explain the rise of Punjabi trucking in America. August the 15th, 1947, Independence Day for India. An era has we have to go back to the partition of India at the end of British colonial rule. Okay, so they, they, like in 47 when India split, the feeling was that the Hindus got India and the Muslims got Pakistan and the Sikhs got nothing. So, you know, this feeling kept building, 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 and then here comes this one leader and like all of the Sikhs are following him. Binjawale had become well known for urging village Sikhs to abstain from drink and drugs and not cut their hair. He was, he was getting very popular, so the Congress party, the ruling party in India at the time, they devised the attack on the Golden Temple, which is like the holiest shrine of the Sikhs. Tension in the Punjab, which is a northern state of India, where the attack ended with Indian soldiers actually storming the temple itself, leaving hundreds or maybe even thousands of people dead, including the leader of this movement. So after 1984, in retaliation, two Sikhs, they were bodyguards for the Indian Prime Minister Indira Gandhi at the time. They shot and killed her. We regret to announce the death of the Prime Minister. Uh, the tensions between the majority Hindus and the Sikh community are spilling over into violence. So from 1984 started a Sikh genocide spree. Pulled him from the house and burnt alive. If they would see any Sikh youth, a Sikh man, heck, a Sikh child, they were killing four-year-old kids. So Sikh people were killed. Yeah. How many? 
This happened to it. He was burned alive in that car. A lot of people escaped from India, you know, to save their lives. They killed our children, they killed our relatives, they killed our brothers. So that's why there was a large influx of Sikh immigration in the 80s, late 80s. Bindo was actually born here in California, but his dad, Gurmail Atwal, came to the U.S. in the 80s. Uh, in 1983. That was before the assassination of Indira Gandhi and the violence against the Sikhs. He actually came because he married an Indian woman who lived in the U.S. All the youngsters, they have a dream to go abroad that time. In the early 80s, there was only a very small Punjabi community in the Central Valley. The first town where I used to move in Winton, I was the first, only one Indian in that town. But not for long. My dad came in 83, my grandpa came in 92, my grandma in 95, one of my uncles in 99, my dad's sister in 2003, and his other brother in 2006. Within like, you know, 23 years, he had his whole family here. Now, I have nobody on my dad's side of the family in India at all. Like a lot of Punjabi immigrants, their families settled in the area around Livingston, California, about an hour north of Fresno. Now you see every town in Livingston, two Indian temples, because the community come over here from India. Binda's dad saw this same trend play out with Punjabi truckers. In 1983, there were few. He could basically count them at first. I know their names, even Lecher Brothers, Shergal trucking and Jakpal trucking, not more than 40 people driving truck, Indian people. And eventually, he would become one of them. Okay, so when my dad first came from India, he was a clean-shaven. He just had a mustache, and he got a job with the Kanagra Banquet Foods as a quality control supervisor. But they shut down in 93. By that time, Binda's dad had decided to grow out his beard and hair. As you may know, this is one of the basic practices of the Sikh faith, and also why many Sikhs wear their hair in a turban. So he would apply for jobs and he would tell them, oh, you know, I have six years, seven years experience as a quality control supervisor. I have a bachelor's degree, yada, yada, yada. They would tell him, okay, come in, no worries. Well, when they see my beard and they say, oh, we will think about it. And he didn't get a job anywhere. So after, like, you know, just going place to place three, four months, he uh, went to the local college and he got his license through there. That's why I have to get truck driver license. Trucking was simply the job he could get at the time. The pay was good, but nobody cared about the beard. There's no other option. It's a story we heard many times from other truckers in Binda's community. When we come from other country, we have nothing. So at that moment, either you could farm or you could, you know, work at a gas station or they'll go drive a truck. I was working in the store, making like 1500 per month. When I start driving, I would start making like $7,000 per month. You don't need a bachelor's degree to start making, you know, four or $5,000 a month. It's good, yeah, it's good. Pays your bills, pays everything. This same reality exists for a lot of recent immigrants. For someone with limited education or English language skills, trucking is about as good of a job as you can get. Maybe the only job you can get where the pay is decent, 
which could explain why, by some estimates, almost 20% of truckers in America today were born in another country. But part of what makes the Punjabi story so remarkable is how this community has embraced trucking, with many becoming owner-operators and small fleet owners, or even running their own truck stops. There's actually, like, this whole genre of Punjabi trucking songs. Like Surjit Khan and Sidhu Musewala, and there's a lot of them. The music videos look like your average hip-hop video, except everyone is dancing around tractor trailers instead of exotic cars. It all feels a little bizarre to an old folky like me, but they make trucking look pretty cool. Man, I, I, I got a little cousin, he just turned 16. You know, he doesn't even have a car license yet, but he's like marking his calendar until he turns 18 and he can start driving like local. But here's the thing about Benda. He really doesn't buy into the whole cool factor of trucking. For him, it's just a job. Trucking is like the last option. Like, okay, you can't do anything else? Go be a truck driver. You'll go make good money. Which raises the question, why is Benda driving a truck at all? I mean, he was born here in the U.S. He's a native English speaker, has a four-year college degree, and as it turns out, two years of law school under his belt. Yes, I did go to law school for two years, but uh, back when I was young and dumb, I got a two misdemeanor DUIs, so I couldn't take the bar exam until they were off my record. That's how Benda ended up working in a pizza restaurant and ultimately driving a truck. So like everyone else in this story, and like me, trucking gave him a way out of trouble. At, at that time, it seemed like the best way for me to provide for my family to where I was, you know, bringing in a good amount of money. That was in 2015, which happens to be the same year the federal government first announced the new ELD mandate that would soon require virtually all truckers to run an electronic log. Opposition to the new rules started to build right away, including within the Punjabi community. And Binda found himself in a unique position. So they're doing all these videos in Punjabi, and they tell me like, hey, you know, you went to law school, you have a bachelor's, do it in English. So I did it in English, and I mean, that thing gained so much traction, it gained so much traction. There was about a thousand trucks in the rolling protest. After the break, Binda here, who never meant to be a trucker in the first place, becomes the spokesman for the largest trucker protest in a generation. All right. We're going to pick it up right where we left off with Binda. He drops out of law school, gets a CDL, buys his own truck, and that same year, the feds announced the new ELD mandate. For me, it just meant like, you know, you would lose more home time. The flexibility, to be honest with you, you know. Remember that on paper logs, you basically regulated yourself. This means you could easily tack an extra 30 minutes onto your workday or maybe take a nap in the middle of your shift then make up the time later. 
No one but the most hawk-eyed inspector would know the difference, and sometimes those little liberties could mean a lot. You might go to church on Sunday morning, maybe linger a little longer at the family barbecue, or in Binda's case, make it home at night to see your newborn son. He felt like electronic logs would take that all away. You know, because like I, I, my my dad was a single parent when he raised us. I played football in high school. I played an Indian sport called kabaddi, and my dad never came to any of my practices. I want to be there for all that stuff. I don't want to miss his childhood. As the start date for the ELD mandate approached, Binda realized he wasn't the only one who felt this way. There's an app called WhatsApp, right? So we have trucking groups on there. And each group has like 256 people in it. So, you know, all these videos started coming out. And then people started saying like, hey, you know, I'm so, so city, what can I do? And they went out and put like flyers at like truck stops, rest areas, or like Indian restaurants, or at the Sikh temple where we know people park. And we just getting such, started getting such a big response. I started getting like a hundred calls a day like what are we gonna do where do we need to go what do we need to do you know so binda and a few of the other people who were sharing videos decided to call a meeting we met at the first sick temple made in california in stockton and the response there was just astonishing we had maybe 350 people there Okay, so we, we met there and we sat down and we made like a five-member committee. And like I was kind of made in charge of like the media because they're like, your English is the best, you know. So you talk to all like the TV, the radio, the newspaper. Protest of a new regulation. The electronic log pretty much turns us into a machine. Adam Atwal is protesting the electronic logging devices. Binda and his Punjabi network linked up with a national protest planned for the first week of October 2017 called Operation Black and Blue. In California, the event kicked off with a rally at the state capitol in Sacramento. When we got to Sacramento, you know, in front of the state capitol building, I mean, we had maybe five, six hundred people out there. As right as the drivers, you know, give us dignity and respect. And we had speeches out there. You know, I myself was doing them in English, but mostly they were in Punjabi. And it was just like kind of trying to, you know, wake these sleeping people up. Like, look, think, you know. The main point of the protest today is not just for the electronic log book. So that was Sacramento. And then we had Bakersfield. And then we had Fresno on the third day. We must all unite together. And then we had one day as like off. And then the next day, we were supposed to meet up in Yuba City. This was the culmination of the whole action. A rolling protest. Hundreds of trucks showed up to participate. They had numbers printed out from like one to I think 1,500. And we'd put 782 numbers on windshields there at the Sikh Temple parking lot itself. Many others showed up to ride along. So there was a thousand trucks in the protest, but in reality, that number was probably like, you know, three, four thousand people that parked their trucks. But first, a massive protest shuts down local truckers joined a nationwide rally Monday morning. And this is where, for Binda at least, the whole protest 
began to unravel. Once we hit the freeway, then people started parking on the side or slowing down. The protest had no official permits, so the trucks ended up scattered over miles with no clear organization. Some drivers decided to just stop in the middle of the highway to get attention, blocking traffic altogether. And that's when the news helicopter came out. Go right there, there's somebody actually on the freeway in front of that truck, standing in front of that orange truck. And then that's when the police started ticketing people. Protest to that one truck being pulled over. Someone has gone. Like 88 people got a ticket for having the the number in the windshield, you know. But in no way at all was that part of the protest to shut down the freeway and do that. The whole ELD protest left Binda feeling well, pretty bitter. He had helped to build a movement, but he couldn't actually hold it together when they finally got out on the road. I have to be honest, though. I kind of envy what Binda and his Punjabi brethren were able to accomplish out there in California. I mean, do you know how hard it is to get two truckers to agree on anything, even the price of diesel? So as far as I'm concerned, if you can get a thousand truckers and point them in one direction, Benda Atwal, you could just be the next JFK. There's an interesting coda to this story, though, which is how those protests affected the trucking community itself. In a way, this may be the most lasting impact of Operation Black and Blue. Before we did the Black and Blue, the Punjabi truckers got hardly any respect from like, I mean, if you if you think truckers is predominantly Caucasian, right? Like white males that are drivers, and with the, they were like the old school truckers, and they they called the Indians ragheads, you know, diaperheads, Arabs, and you name it, they called them that. But after the black and blue, after you know the thousand plus showing, they started calling us the Punjabi brothers, the Sikh brothers. You know, there'll be like Facebook posts and stuff and people would say something bad about a, a Sikh or a Punjabi. And before a Sikh or a Punjabi responded, you got like 20 white people responding like, hey, you know, they're not all like that. We met these people. They're good. They got the same problem as us. One of those changed hearts belonged to our old friend, Mike Landis. When we interviewed Mike for our very first episode at the truck show, he told us how his own attitude towards the Sikh and Punjabi drivers has changed. Having grown up watching 9-11 on a TV in biology class, to me, if someone had a big beard, looked Middle Eastern, and had a turban on their head, they were crap. Um, that was the wrong way to look at it. I knew it deep down, but just always stuck in my head. Right up until the ELD protests began. Um... I went to D.C. in October of 17, and we decided to go to Constitution and talk to the public. The same week that Benda and company were organizing the rolling protest in California, Mike and a few dozen or so other truckers parked their rigs along Constitution Avenue near the White House. But a group of Punjabi drivers showed up in D.C. too, and when one of the leaders stepped out of his truck with the full turban and beard... Mike was, well, impressed. 
And uh, I'm thinking of myself, and I'm like, man, if I was in a place where most people probably looked at me and were like, oh, my God, and he's still getting out wearing that because he's proud to wear it, and he's here with us, that kind of says a lot. And just like in California, the East Coast Punjabis had completely out-organized every other faction of truckers. You know, he had put together with a few of the others these vans and stuff that went around to the different states and picked up all these different Sikh and Punjabi drivers and stuff. And they brought us food. They would walk up to us and shake our hand and thank us for being there with our trucks. They outnumbered us four to one, I guarantee you. Really? You know, they asked me, like, hey, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Lidditz. And they're like, oh, yeah, us too. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? really? Here they own the pizza joint down the street from my house. At the end of it, I was sitting on a bench watching, looking at the Washington Monument, and this whole thing has just been this crazy, weird, emotional, eye-opening, like you're already there fighting for something you believe in, kind of, and, and then, you know, I've always had this idea of these people and just totally feel like a complete piece of crap for having this idea for so long in my life. we talk to them, they want some type of action. Because they come from areas of the world where if they try and protest, they're liable to be killed for one. And for two, they've been in a suppressed type of situation where they're like, you have the opportunity to fight for something that's right. Like that's your right as a citizen here to be able to do that. And you're not gonna stand up and do it. Are you crazy? And they're they're 100% right. A few days after we interviewed Binda, sick families from all around Livingston gathered together at their local temples. Binda was out driving that night, but his wife and children went. There was music, fellowship, and just like at the black and blue protest, plenty of food. This event falls on the same day as Diwali, one of the major Hindu holidays. Diva, it just really means light. So it was just like, it's called the Festival of Lights. But for six, the day has a special significance. And Benda told us the story. Our sixth guru teacher, his father was being, he was also a guru. Like so many of the stories Benda shared, it begins in a time of oppression and resistance. They were trying to kill Sikhism. A Sikh guru was executed for refusing to forsake his faith. And so his young son rose to become the new guru. And at the age of 14, he was imprisoned in a fort for two years because his father wouldn't convert and he wouldn't convert. So then on the event of Diwali, the emperor told him, okay, you know, I'll free you. And there were also 52 kings from like neighboring jurisdictions or whatever that were imprisoned in the same cell. And he told them, as many people can hold on to your shirt and follow you out, I'll let them go. So what the guru did was he was only 15, 16. He told his people to sew him a, a shirt with 52 coattails. So all the kings grabbed one and they all followed him out. So it's called Bundi Chord, like prisoner release. It, it, it's all like Punjabis tend to flock together, you know, like we're a really close-knit community. If our own prisoner release is ever going to come for all the truckers out there who feel trapped by regulation and surveillance, then I might just expect to see one of our Punjabi brothers leading the march. Man, I hope they'll save a coattail for me. 
And in case you're wondering if those protests ever did lead to any actual change, the short answer is yes. We'll fill you in on that in our final episode because it's actually been playing out as we've been working on this series. But we're not done yet. In our next episode, I'm going to introduce you to some of the greatest characters and storytellers I've ever met out here. We're calling it Long Haul Paul's Long Hall of Fame. And well, Radiotopia is pretty much letting the inmates run the asylum on this one. So on our penultimate episode, I'm going to pass the mic around and introduce you to some folks who are simply my heroes. Our over-the-road pit crew includes producer and sound designer Ian Koss, contributing producer Lacey Roberts at Transmitter Media, and for this episode, field producer Alex Hall at KQED. Our editor from Overdrive Magazine is Todd Dills, but I have to say the title editor really doesn't capture what Todd has done for this show. Todd is the one who really stuck his neck out for me and turned just a basic wise guy trucker into an actual rider. No one but my wife Denise should ever have to be a traffic cop in my head. But Todd, man, he does all right. <laughs> man, that, that really makes me laugh. Long Haul Paul is nothing if not effusive in his praise. And I'll say, hey, the man was a veritable wizard of the written word before I ever met him, that's for sure. Stay tuned for the last two episodes in Overdrive Radio's re-air of the Over the Road series within the, within the next month. Uh, for more from our OTR partners in PRX's Radiotopia, visit radiotopia.fm. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive Magazine. The podcast is edited and produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Mr. Marhofer, Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, News Editor Matt Cole, and Executive Editor James Gillette. Until next time, that's a wrap. <laughs>